Great Scott! The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion! With Scott Prather. Steal the show. On ESPN 1420 and ESPN1420.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Great Scott Show, the Great Sports Callers Open Think Tank. Coming at you on a Friday, I am Scott Prather. In the 8 o'clock hour, we will talk Major League Baseball playoffs. The divisional series have been set. That's right. We'll talk about last night's Giants-Dodgers game a little bit. We'll talk about last night's NFL game as well. And uh, in uh, James Butler, my friend, former Raging Cajun and Green Bay Packers wide receiver, will join me at the very end of the show this morning to try to defend his lunacy and give uh, NFL picks for week six. Uh, and we'll talk a little high school football as well in the 8 o'clock hour. But joining me now to kick off the show, we're not even going to wait to do the pro segment at a quarter after. Oh, no, we're starting it. Right now, my friend, Saints and Pelicans correspondent Gus Cattengill here to talk some college football, little Saints and Pels as well. Good morning, Gus. What is happening? I'm doing fantastic, man. You know, you brought up the word cracklings. My wife said I'm thinning out a bit, losing some of them handles. I must be doing something right, which just means it's more room for cracklings, right? Isn't that how it works? I, I, I'm not even going to lie, bro. I've owed you a, 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 a big oh, that's not what I was for a while. I know it's not. Okay. I know it's not. But... You know, if you if you drop some LBs, you know you got you got to have your cheat days, and for your cheat days, Gus wants you know maybe a couple of pounds of cracklings. I mean, that's cheating a lot, but hey, if you're gonna cheat, yeah. just cheat, right? If you're gonna be, you know, like uh, some of these major league baseball teams that folks like to talk about, if you're gonna do it, just go ahead and just do it all out. Why 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 hide it, right? That's right. No, I hear you, man. I was trying to think of what Coach Napier said Tuesday after the win. What did he say afterwards? He, he tweeted it, too. It was a gif. Something about, like, if, it, if it's not a good gamble, it's not a gamble or something like that. I, said, oh, oh, oh! you mean from a few weeks ago. Scared money don't make money. Right, right, right. That's what it, I'd say. It's scared, exactly right. You know, if you don't drop pounds, then you can't add pounds. Something like that. <laughs> scared money don't. Yes. I, I don't even know how to tie the two in. Why don't we start there? I know it was a couple days ago, and I know uh, LSU – uh, hosting Florida tomorrow morning. Uh, nothing like an 11 a.m. kickoff at Tiger Stadium said uh, mm-hmm. said nobody ever. But uh, you know, you you had me on your show Wednesday, and you've been talking to Coach Napier uh, for the last few years on your show. And you know, I know you're over there in New Orleans and, and covering Tulane quite a bit from afar. But you know, Coach Napier is uh, his. He had the national spotlight Tuesday night. I say he. He did, along with the university and the football team. But um, if they were going to have a game to put it all together and have by far their best game of the season, uh, they picked a good night to do it on. What were your thoughts on the Cajuns' performance and on Billy Napier's future? Oh, man. Um, I do want to come back on your show, so I'm going to answer that second part politically correct, I guess. But – my my thoughts on that win, man, is, you know, one thing I've noticed in our conversations, because he comes on our show on Tuesdays, is, you know, it, he's just constantly been saying, we're, we, we're not there yet, we're kind of just building. He, he kind of knew 
certain areas that he wanted. Um, I think some of the close games early he thought helped and was starting to kind of, you know, kind of get everything in, in the right direction. And, you know, I just enjoy when, when we speak about it. He just he comes across, Scott, and I'm sure you know this and the listeners do, he just knows his football team. And, you know, a lot of times in business or relationships or whatever, it, it's good to know what you're good at and what, you know, other things can be shortcomings. It's not a bad thing. Just know what you – what your, what your strengths are. And, and I think that's what he's been doing over the last couple of weeks is knowing what his team can sort of do, you know. And um, I think one of the advantages of where the program is or really kind of his understanding as being a coach that he is, Scott, is understanding, you know, what you win by one, you win by two. Um, yeah, sure, you, you probably want it different and there's things you can do, but it, it's winning. You're finding ways to win it. I always find a lot of times in today's sports world, I mean, unless you're Bama, even if you're Bama, you know, a lot of times they win and came like we could have done this. It's almost like you're, you're never satisfied or understand, hey, look, it's a W at the end of the day. Did you get in and out of it? You can only plan for so much. I mean, we had, you know, the sound bites from Sean Payton earlier this week on Monday. and I mean, a guy was a joy to listen to describe the meticulous details that he had on the Hail Mary and his yeah, third down and he went from third right. and one to third and 17 to when he studies defenses, when do they go to their, you know, um, third and long coverages? Is it third and 12? Is it third and 14? When do they do their zones? I mean, he just thinks of every possible scenario. And, and when you're watching the Saints this year, and we'll get into that in a bit, is it's just literally understanding what you have as he said on Monday, I can't complain or go with, well, I wish we had this guy. I wish we had that guy. And, and, and I'm being honest, I think it's a compliment because I really see a lot of those traits in Coach Napier. And when I see that team play, and I was texting you during the game on Tuesday, they, they, they just look like a well-coached football team. They look like they know what they're supposed to do, where they're supposed to be. It doesn't necessarily mean, Scott, they make every play. I mean, have state scored and things of that nature, and there's mistakes and penalties and turnovers, but – you, you just you get an overwhelming feeling of that guy is literally doing that saying that coaches speak your one eleventh and they just they put it together that night and you know I mentioned to you on our show back on Wednesday the celebration in the locker room afterwards that that's a team and that kind of celebration was all right this is who we are there it is we put it on the field and I don't think you can you know, discount enough what that means, man, to, to do it on national TV. I know it's a Tuesday and all this other stuff, but that that's that's a lot of eyes on you and you and you you know, were rewarded by all the hard work and practice that you did and, and they came out and played well. And I that was I mean, it was fun to watch, man. And as far as the future goes, look, there's a reason that two SEC schools have tried to to interview him and make, you know, and see where, the, where his interests are in South Carolina and Auburn and several other schools. And, you know, I, I've made no, you know, I guess pretense about it, Scott. I, and again, I, I do want to come back on your show. So I hope the listeners don't hate me, but look, that's a guy that if I'm LSU, I'm, I'm absolutely considering. And, you know, I hear all the LSU fan base, the message boards, I listen to Matt Moscona and all these, other people, you know, about the splash hires, it needs to be James Franklin, it needs to be all these guys. And I'm like, I get it. At the same time, again, two schools in the SEC have tried to interview him and maybe make him his head, their head coach. So 
Other schools in this conference have taken notice. Other schools in Power Five schools have taken notice. The Clemson background, the Alabama background, all those different aspects of it. Um, it's incredible. Yet, you and I have texted over the last couple of years when he's been those offers and, and he's decided to stay. And I think, again, it goes to that coach's personality transcending to, to the players. I think he knows who he is. I think he's comfortable with who he is and, and, and being patient, knowing when's the right time. And if not, completely being bought into where he's at. I, I don't get a sense, you know, of, you know, your eyes on this or your foot's out the door here or you're looking for this. I don't get that sense at all, man, how he talks about his team, how he talks about the community. Uh, it, because you, 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 kind of similarly, you have the Gruden situation this week. Um, Scott, and you heard former players say, we always knew this guy was full of BS, you know? And he, he smiled, he talked the talk, he did all this, but, like, I knew this guy talked behind my back. and that, So players feel it. And I think you actually said it on our show on Wednesday when I asked you specifically about this, that you can just tell if someone's phony or not and people buy in or not. And, I look, I, I'm happy for them. And, and the only reason I say these other schools, these programs, is just because, look, it's the facilities, it's having 100,000 people, it's having those type of athletes and players. And, look, that's what we all do, right, Scott? I mean, you wouldn't mind being nationally syndicated one day. doesn't mean you don't like Lafayette. doesn't mean you don't like the people you work with. Same thing with me. I, I'd love to be nationally syndicated. That means probably moving and, you know, doing different things. But, I mean, that's what you strive to do, whether you start at a – you know, fast food restaurant or your high school job that pays minimum wage, you eventually do want to be able to get a career and that career and have benefits and then get promoted and then eventually reach a level of management. So it's no different in that kind of profession as well. So, um, but in the meantime, look, I, I, I think, he, I mean, he's, he, you got a really, really good coach, a really good coach. And it was just fun to watch, uh, good football, to be honest with you, Scott, because the rest of the state is struggling in watching that. Tulane season hasn't been the way they wanted. LSU's a disaster, you know, and, and I mean, you look at SLU with what, what Frank Selfo is doing in, in UL. I mean, I, you know, Louisiana and, and Southeastern are really the two schools that are consistently performing well. I love when you speak to those coaches. We have Frank Selfo on as well, man. He's a trip. You should get him on this show. <laughs> he, he, did you see the tweet? that he put out earlier this week, he has an open invitation to the state of Louisiana or in the metro area. He said, hey, Tiger fans and Wave fans, if you want to watch good football, come, come to Strawberry Stadium. Oh, nice I, mean, I, I love that, though. I love that. Be happy and proud of your program and your guys, man. I, I, I love that, you know? Scared money don't make money. ESPN1420.com. There Gus it is. Gagiel, our guest. Um, there it is. So, LSU, I mean – before we get to O, I mean, golly, mm-hmm. I mean, just this past week, they lose Kayshawn Booty for the season. They lose an All-American and Eli Ricks for the season. Derek Stingley's already gone. I mean, it, 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 assuming they can beat ULM, is this is this team, I mean, are they are they finishing 4-8 and eight here? Are they going to get a win? Are they 5-7? and seven? I mean, crazy things happen when they play Florida, but, boy, it just seems like everything that could go wrong has gone wrong lately for LSU. That's a good way to put it. And, and you know, again, when, when you have that contrast, and we spoke about it on our show Wednesday and Thursday and Tuesday and Monday, um, 
when you're seeing what the Saints are doing, and you're seeing what Coach Napier and them are doing, um, injuries happen. It does stink when you have that. And, and I understand in different realms you can say, well, you know, Gus, you lose your number one receiver and defender and all of that in college football. It maybe is more than the pros. I'm like, well, is it? Is it? Because here's my, my biggest point that I make when I speak about LSU or Coach O. It's not that I have dislike. It's nothing personal. It's just what do your eyes tell you? And, and Scott, there's two things that I, you teach your kids and I probably teach my son. And you know, my wife and I always talk about when we meet people or have business opportunities. What does your gut tell you? And your gut's always something that you know, people will always tell you you go with more often than not because it doesn't let you down. Your eyes, they get deceived. But most of the time, what you see is what you see. And what you see is a poorly coached, poorly organized operation from top to bottom, a lack of understanding of its environment. And I just go on and on. I, the university is embroiled in, in lawsuits. It's in scandal. It's not being looked at in a favorable fashion with some very serious allegations and charges. The last two head coaches that have won national championships aren't exactly at the pillar of their profession in terms of how they're respected. I mean, Les Miles has been erased essentially when you think about it. He got fired from Kansas for what he did at LSU. Yeah, he's And it was, it was kind of covered up, right? You have a situation where – I mean, Coach O has done some things and said some things even last week to a caller is a special fishing hole for people like you. You can't answer that like that. You have to understand at that position, which is why whether you agree with this or that, you call it cancer culture, you call it whatever with the Gruden thing. When you're a head coach at a high school, at a college, at a pro team, you are the face of that name, of that place represent the employer, represent the university, represent the community. That is what you take on when you apply for that job. Yes, there's money, there's prestige, and there's popularity and whatever, and you can say you're one of however many. But with that comes responsibility. It's like the Spider-Man thing. With great power comes you know, great responsibility, and it does. And the, the thing that I was leery of at the time of the hire is I just remember regardless of USC or what he did at Ole Miss. No, what, what stuck out to me was the one year he was the defensive line coach with New Orleans and, and with the Saints. And I can tell you after his single year here, Sean Payton made some comments to make you believe that, it, I mean, even when he got like other jobs, he's like, well, I'm happy for him. You know, it was, it was stuff like that. It, I, I go back to the whole Joe Brady thing. Everyone's like, Joe Brady this, Joe Brady that. If Joe Brady doesn't walk out there with Sean Payton's playbook, is Joe Brady looked at – I mean, the guy interviewed for a head coaching job last year, two years after never even being an offensive coordinator. Well, and, and, and I But think that, that dream that, season was just – it was it No, was, I, it was I understand that. You know? And that's what I'm saying. Look, I'm not faulting him. You strike when the iron is hot. But, you know, when, when literally coach can't remember who that was when Jacques Doucet asked him in the middle of the season that year, <laughs> and it was brought to his attention. And then the next time he actually, yeah, you know, he's, he's around in the meetings and, and stuff like that. And, and Drew was like, yeah, you know, he was always listening. And it, I mean, he got coffee. I mean, you know, it, was like he, it wasn't like he was creating 
the plays that Sean Payton and Pete Carmichael were calling. So I just always found that interesting because when I spoke to people in Baton Rouge that were close to the program, it was being portrayed completely different, mm-hmm. you know, holding me back, holding you down. And, you know, this guy doesn't let you grow and all this. And I was like, regardless, there's clearly not being seen the same viewpoint because when you hear coach Sean Payton talk about Dan Campbell and Aaron Glenn and others, he spoke glowingly, gave you instances, gave you references, and maybe it comes down to the simplest things of Sean feeling you have to earn your dues, you have to pay your credits, you know, and that's what reportedly he was like, look, you're not ready yet, give it another year and I can help you put on a track. Maybe it's something like that. We've all been a part of a job where, believe me, you know me, I'm raising my hand right now. There's sometimes we work for management where they want to be seen as the one that set you on the right path of success because of them not because of you. And, and that could be an issue of it, but, you know, to, to bring this all back down to what you were asking about, Oh, and LSU, I think the thing is, it's just, you're, you're looking at it and I'm watching the game two weeks ago against Auburn. I'm watching it against Kentucky and I'm looking at my wife on the couch and she's getting all frustrated, you know, like, what are they doing? And I'm like, just watch, watch, watch the game and, and, and ask yourself this, what is the rhyme and reason? What, what, what are you doing? What, what is your purpose? What are you trying to do? What, what is it that you do well at? Did you notice that the Taysom Hill touchdown that he scored twice on um, in the last couple of weeks was the same play that Alvin Kamara scored a touchdown on against Washington? That, that, is, that is a bread and butter play. And it right off the right guard in between the center, that's his left. I mean, like the, the slant from Michael Thomas, they're bread and butter plays. Can you even tell me what a play that LSU can run in those they can get five yards? I'm watching that Auburn game, and there's one play where you know they're trying to come back and win in that fourth in that fourth quarter before they turn it over on downs or he throws over the interception. Two plays before that on first down, they have trips left. All three receivers never move. Max Johnson grabs it and throws it. Nobody moves. The ball hits the ground and goes out of bounds. And, and you're sitting there going, what, "What are you doing? It made no sense." The next three plays were over the middle, and the ball boos. It's just, it's just kind of one of those things where the hiring process, if you followed it and you talked to people about it, it was, let's get that flashy guy that can just go on a dry erase board and draw some circles. On the other side, there's some X's. Let's draw some arrows, and he's going to show you, man, this play works, and that play works, and it's all in theory. You know, I just feel like LSU hires theoretical coaches, not football coaches. I mean, there's a reason Alabama has continued to succeed, and that's because when they lose a coordinator, and that's a top one, offense, defensive coordinator, they replace them with a head coach. They don't replace them with someone that's never done it before. And, and I just it, – it just, it just reeks, speaks, I, I, and yeah. shows uh, a lack of understanding, leadership, and my goodness gracious, it's a disaster. But, like, you can point to it and write it down as to why, I think, you know, in closing, obviously LSU will be looking for a new head coach after this season. You know, oh, he did some things right. He's a good recruiter, and the Ensminger brady burrow combo, that was, you know, if you're going to say, oh, that's all luck. No, I mean, there was something to it. But I think where he's really messed up is just staff hiring. You know, we can go back to last year, not really interviewing uh, you know, Polini, not interviewing the OC, not even, I mean, that's, that's, that's not normal. That's bad. That's, I and mean, then, God, that's, that, I mean, right. Like roster mismanagement 
and staff hiring, you know, you can still have well, good you could still have good players that you recruit, sure. but if you're sure. if you're if you're if your staff is not good, not fit, right? Not a good combination, whatever word you want to use, then you're going to have really poor development of your players, regardless of how good they could potentially be. And I think that's what's happened here in that sort of lack of overall management. Um, you know, I'm not going to take anything away from the dream season. Uh, and, and someone said, God, I can't believe it was like less than two years ago. They're in the middle of it. Yeah, it's true. But where they are right now is so, so far away from that. And, um, yeah, it, it's it, whoever they have to, whoever they hire next, uh, they're going to have a lot to clean up. But, you know, it's, it's not like they won't have resources. I think, you know, what kind of relationship are you going to have with the AD and the president? That's a really, really big part of it. Uh, and then as far as the other things go, you know, make sure you hire the right staff. I mean, any coach will tell you they want autonomy on their staff, but some mean it more than others. And when you're not going to, you know, interview guys. Now, he interviewed him this past year, but he got a D.C. that was the third choice. He interviewed some O.C.s right. that Brady recommended. He's trying to sort of recreate magic. And it just it just hadn't worked, man. It's, it's a bad spot right now and one that after the dream season, I didn't think they were going to repeat that. Don't get me wrong. But I sure as hell didn't think they would be 500 a year and a half later, and that's where they're at right now. So, uh, on that oh, note, Gus, let's uh, let's. I shift. just want to add one quick thing. Go ahead, go ahead. Thing. To the point of the broadcast on Tuesday in the UL game, and the broadcast was, I think it was in the third quarter. They were talking about what Coach Nathan talked about. Did they, he get a, a new offensive line coach, or he was speaking specifically about the O line coach and the job that he has done? And that's the point you're talking about right now, Scott. Is you have to get hires, man, that help you. And like I said, you, you just watch the Cajuns play. Said guy goes to said guy, knows what he's supposed to do. And when you talk about that dream season or that magical season, you know, a, a guy like Ensminger has been around football as long as he has, understands the theory behind it and also the practicality of it and what you're trying to do. So when you add a Brady with different concepts, it can be applied. That's why that worked. But it's because you had a guy that had, you know, years of football under his belt and calling plays and doing that. You know, that's different than all of a sudden I'm watching and you helping and you're going out and doing it, you know. And, and it just, like I said, it, it matters. The people that you have around you make you as strong or as weak as, as you can be as a leader. And that's all walks of life, man. That's all walks of life. And personal life right scott i mean you and i are better because we married really good women mm-hmm. <laughs> so i mean you know that support that kick in the tail every now and then that down to earth bringing uh and then that 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 motivation but it, you, you have to surround yourself with good people espn 1420 espn 1420.com and the espn 1420 app that is gus cottingale we're going to take a break come back as i said in the eight o'clock hour today i'm going to hit on Major League Baseball playoffs, last night's game. We'll talk division series matchups. We'll talk a little high school football. James Butler will join me at the very end of the show to defend some of his lunacy and audacious takes, but also make some NFL picks for the upcoming weekend in football. The Saints are on a bye, but Gus had some great questions on ESPN 100.3 on his show Wednesday that I'm going to piggyback on because we talked about it, and that is as the Saints enter the bye week, which player is the most outstanding? Which is the biggest surprise? Who has the most work to do? And what has been the best moment of the Saints season thus far? Oh, and yeah, 
By the way, the Pelican season is, uh, what, five days away? We're going to dig in next at CSPN1420.com. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back into the great Scott show, the great sports callers open think tank. Gus Cottingale, Saints and Pelicans correspondent here with me this hour. Pro Nola segment. Gus, let's uh, let's talk Saints this segment. It's the bye week. We don't have to spend a ton of time on it. Uh, a week from this Monday, they'll be in Seattle. They'll be back at it. Everyone kept saying, boy, bye week couldn't come soon enough with all the injuries. You had some great questions that you posed on your show earlier this week. So I got I got to piggyback here and, and ask you, as you uh, handed out some awards, some of the awards were good, some of them were bad. It was kind of like the, the Emmys and the Razzies, depending on which one it was. So let's start with a good one. Who in your mind has been the uh, most outstanding player on the Saints through the first five games of the season? I went with DeMario Davis, and the reason I went with him was because he filled a, a couple of areas that, I mean, they're, they're massive check marks that you need to check. And this is the first season where your captain, I mean, he was named Captain America. It's breezes. It's, he can run for any office in Louisiana and all that. I mean, it, you're replacing Drew Brees. Whether you want to talk about it, whether you don't want to say, oh, it's a there is no elephant in the room. That is, that is the room. I mean, that, that is what you're trying to fill in, right? And so can one person do it? It's probably more of a collective at first, but there is a transition period. And there was a singular voice. There was a person that spoke on behalf of the organization. That was a person that um, nationally was seen as the leader of the team. He was a leader in the locker room. When he spoke, you listened. He was in charge of everything. He went in every position group meeting and gave tidbits and tips. I've mentioned before, whether it's Robert Meacham coming on our show and saying that guy was in our, you know, meeting rooms. He'd just slip in, open the door and be like, hey, by the way, I just saw film. This guy likes to do that. Keep an eye on this. He went to defensive backs and said, hey, I'm studying this. And while I'm watching the film, I'm noticing their receivers like to do this. And this is what I would do to throw at him. So look for this. He knew all and every aspect of the game and helped every part of the locker room. Offense, defense, special teams, off the field, on the field, you name it. That's a lot to replace. I mean, that, that is a lot. And DeMario Davis has come as close as you can, as quickly as you can. And maybe that first step started, Scott, you know, at Seattle two years ago. And Teddy Two Gloves was about to start. And we were playing at Seattle, a place that, you know, historically has not been kind to the Saints. And, you know, he asked permission to, you know, lead the, the team motivational, you know, thing that they do, the pep talk and, and, and huddle that they do in pregame warmups. And since then, that's what he does. He, he does that now. He is a team captain. He is a captain on the defense. He's a vocal captain. He is respected, and more importantly, all of that is backed up by his play. He is the best player on the defense. I, I, I mean, I don't know 
if you can say this or the other guy and all that, but that guy, you know, he leads on the field all over the place, man. And so to me, he's been the most outstanding player because going into last week's game, and I would say through the first five weeks, we were talking about on your show, my show, Twitter, you name it, that this was a defensive-led team, that the identity of this team now moving forward was at least defense first. And, and it made sense. I mean, you're, you, you have a lot of losses on the offensive side. You have a new quarterback trying to get with, with guys that he has. And that roster is going to look completely different in about five weeks on the offensive end. So, I mean, it, it's, you're basically going to go – and it, you knew this at the beginning of the season – Half, if not more than half of the season, I've been saying to you, the Buffalo Thanksgiving game, that game I've circled since the calendar came out and when training camp started, and I said, that's when you're going to see what the future of the Saints is going to look like. So that's going to have games under the belt for Jameis Winston. You're going to have back players from suspension. You're going to have Michael Thomas back. You're going to have all of these things back. Then you would get an idea of what this team could be moving forward next year, next offseason, what you have to build, what do you build around. And that's on the offensive side. Defensively, I mean, Scott, if David Onyemata comes back and he's remotely in shape, you have Quan Alexander coming back. You have Marcus Davenport coming back. I saw a stat this week um, that was brought up to my attention, and somebody tweeted, I think it was Monday or Tuesday, that the Saints are something like third or fourth or second and third. The Saints defensive ends have the most double teams in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Basically, they're not even blocking the Saints defensive tackles. It, like Peyton Turner is getting double teamed. Cam Jordan's getting double teamed. Davenport's gotten double teamed. Tanel Passanel's getting double teamed. Think about that stat. More, there's only two, I think, or three other teams in the NFL whose defensive end, the pair of defensive ends, not, not, not just Cam Jordan, both defensive ends for the New Orleans Saints or I think three or four in the NFL, in the amount of double teams they're seeing. That goes exactly to what you and I talked about in the offseason, when you have to let go of Malcolm Brown, and you can't re-sign Sheldon Rankins, and you don't have David Onyemata. That is a massive, massive hole. When they're getting double teamed that much, and that defense is still making plays, man, that tells you a lot. And I think a lot of it is the leadership there. Malcolm Jenkins, Marcus Williams has played well. Lattimore is having his best season, which is fantastic to see the year that, that he gets paid. You know, he comes back, and I love hearing him now. He's like, hey, if I can walk and I can run, I can play. Oh, yeah, so I don't out worry there about with the cast. The cast That's awesome if you're a Saints fan. But mm-hmm. to me, the Mario Davis is the most outstanding player. There were a lot of people that said Jameis and stuff of that nature. And, but, man, I, Gilligan got some votes. Uh, but I, you know, I, I think – Davis. What's funny is uh, when you had me on Wednesday, I, you just asked me. I didn't hear yours, and I said to Mario Davis too. So I didn't yeah. know that we had picked the same guy. But yeah. yeah, he was he was the clear number one for me as well. I think Lattimore, you know, has an argument, but he's missed the game and some other guys. You know, obviously Kamara is always great, but no, I think it's Davis. All right, what's been the biggest surprise to you through the first five games with this team? In my office, in the studio, we, we do like sticky notes, right? We, we, we'll make a, a hot take or something that we, we, we want to put our name to. Jordan, the intern, will write it on a sticky note and put it on the wall. We have 50, 60 sticky notes. One of them is I said that Paulson Adebo was going to be a standout rookie and likely starter by the end of the season. Like, I, I, I just legitimately thought that. Well done. Um, 
in the practices I saw, in the tape that I had seen and was told and shown from Stanford. I mean, when you think this guy didn't play last year, and on Monday, Sean Payton was asked about Bradley Roby, a guy that they traded for, a position that people were panicking on, including he was, he Sean was Payton, panicking about who it. called it a month yeah. during the season, during training camp. And on Monday, he said, Adebo's playing so good, we, we're gonna, we'll see what we do with Bradley Roby, essentially. Like, we'll find a package or two to help him out. But I'm telling you, Paulson Adebo is the second cornerback for the New Orleans Saints for the future. It's done. It's over. Like, it's, there's no, well, let's see. It's done. Something else that stood out, that interception he had in Washington was brought to my attention. Matty Hudak brought it up as well with, um, with, with Deuce Windham from The Athletic. That, that was a play that he had gotten burned on against the Giants, and he learned from it, and he got an interception off of it. Mm-hmm. You're seeing before your eyes someone that understands what they're trying to do to him what they're targeting, he's taking the coaching that's being given to him, he's taking the film that they're showing him, and he's applying it. I mean, you you can't do much better. I, I just and again, that's a position. Look, Werner. That's I mean, that's a nice story. You can say that pleasant surprise. You can say some of these guys in the offensive line's a pleasant surprise, been able to fill in. You can say, you know, other areas as well. But to me, considering all of the attention that was paid to a position where everyone was basically like, oh, my God, how are they going to play this season without a second cornerback? And he's absolutely quieted it to where it's Marshawn Lattimore, it's Paulson Adebo. I mean, that, that's it. Those are your top two cornerbacks in the New Orleans Saints. That's incredible. That's amazing. The guy's playing so well. Scott, if they put together some wins and they're a playoff team, I, he has an outside shot at a – you know, at a Pro Bowl, he keeps getting interceptions. You know how people are with stats. Who leads the league in interceptions? Where are they with interceptions? And he's got some already this year. So I think to me it's actually a really easy choice because of the spotlight that was put on that position by Sean Payton. Not fans, not media. Sean Payton kept calling it a must position, and he no longer says that it is. Hard to argue that. I mean, you could go, I guess, Pete Warner a few places here or there, but yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue against the Debo when you consider what cornerback was looking like and how we viewed it before the season started. All right, Gus, uh, number three on your list. What player or area of the team still has a lot of work to do? <laughs> it's this year's Jared Cook. <laughs> I don't know how to really put it. Um, he has taken that title and run with it. Now feel for it because I, I think it's going to be good. Adam Troutman. Um, but, but it's Adam Troutman. I mean, and, and look, and, and I say that, and that's why I, I, I phrased it that way. My intern wouldn't have called it, you know, the bum of the year award. I'm like, no. I just Because quite honestly, Scott, I sat with him for 10 minutes. He's like, who's been the biggest disappointment? And you and I always talk about in the offseason who's taking a step forward, taking a step back, who's been a disappointment and all that. And I'm being honest. I'm trying to think like, who on the Saints would you say has had a disappointing year in terms of, of that aspect? Look, yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, Andre, and, you know, Andres Pete won this position, by the way, on my show on Wednesday, hands down, because everyone can't stand the guy because he steps on quarterbacks. He plays the part of a matador, and I understand that. But my point is, who needs to do better in terms of a position that I think 
um, there's still a lot of room to grow and do that. That catch at Washington, that's what he can do. You saw his speed. You saw his athleticism. It was a nice catch and run. He looked comfortable doing it. And, and again, though, that's why months ago I told you in training camp I called this team a potential playoff team. If certain players that have never done this before can step up, sure. If Adam Troutman, again, you're asking Adam Troutman to go from a small school to be your number one pass-catching tight end in the NFL. He's never done it. You never asked him to do it last year. You asked him to play some games, but Jared Cook was your team leader in touchdown catches. It wasn't Adam Troutman. So you're asking him now to block. You're asking him to, you know, catch. You're asking him to do a lot for the first time ever at that level. He didn't come from Bama. He didn't come from LSU. He didn't come from Ohio State. So it takes a while. you got to give him some snaps. And hopefully what we saw on Sunday is an indication of what's to come because, look, him and Jawan Johnson are so raw, but you see the talent, you see the ability, you just need them to do enough. And, and I think that's why I named that award, you know, just, it's got to do a little bit better. It, it, who, can, who can add a little bit more to their game? He doesn't have to be a Pro Bowl tight end. He doesn't have to be Jimmy Graham. Just catch the ball when it comes to you. You're going to be targeted four times a game. Catch him. That's all you need to do. Can you just catch him? And, um, and, and then, you know, I, I, that's, that's why I went with Adam Trump. Best moment of the season thus far. Man, we got some good ones. There was the, you know, the Taysom Hill 6-7 tackle-breaking touchdown against the Giants. We had a caller say for him it was the first touchdown pass bomb that Winston threw against Green Bay because he was like he hadn't seen that in a long time and it just he said it brought tears to his eyes because he remembered what this offense was like when there was a younger Drew Brees and we would air it out and and he, that he brings up a great point I mean the deep threat is back in New Orleans there, there's no question about it and, and Jameis can throw the long ball he has tremendous accuracy on it and I I'm going with the Hail Mary and the Hail Mary changed the momentum of that game because it was still ugly. It was still muddy. You were, you were hoping the Saints could pull it out, you know, it, it, but it just it, it had that struggle feel. And you were kind of waiting for this offense this season to have that awakening, that moment of this is it. Okay, now we can get this together. String along some good drives. String along key moments. Finish on the offensive side. Things of that nature. You saw it in bits and pieces. You saw it in the win at New England. But I thought just that play and how it was described after by several participants that made me go, that might have been it. Because, Scott, after that, Callaway had a score. Kamara had a score. You, you saw multiple people now getting in the end zone. You saw fluidity to the offense. You saw confidence in the offense. And, you know, we've seen a string of 11 straight passes against the Giants. It's coming with Winston. It's coming with them. And when you get Michael Thomas back and either Traquan or, you know, my God, no one's bringing this up, but Eric McCoy, when you get your starting center back and Ruiz can go back to his position and Teron Armstead comes back, it's just going to get better. So, but that play changed the momentum in that game, and it helped you on your way to get three wins into the bye instead of two. And, you know, when you hear Callaway talk about, look, we knew what we had to do, and everybody knew their role. Everybody knew where to go. And Alvin Kamara after the game says, well, this is what we practiced. Like, 
I didn't, okay, okay, we got it. I mean, he said, I wasn't excited. Like, all right, we got a Hail Mary, we got a touchdown. Let's go to halftime. I'm ready to go sit down. He just, that, that it, it wasn't when I was, oh, my God, we scored. When you go, oh, my God, we scored, you're not expecting it. And, and that's how I took it. I took it as they're expecting it now. They were expecting that play, which means you have confidence in the quarterback, you have confidence in the receivers, you have confidence in the guys that can make that play. And that, to me, we may look back in a couple of weeks from now and go, man, that moment really maybe jump-started that offense to where they have that confidence, they feel good about themselves, and, and, and it moved on. Because after that, you, you saw the offense click. I mean, they scored 33 points, man, in that game, losing Taysom Hill, losing Devontae Harris, who's their deep threat. I mean, their short yardage guy in Hill. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable. But it, I think it was because of the Hail Mary play, Scott. Jameis just, yeah, there's the, the, the Hail Mary play when it's just done in sync. It really is a thing of beauty. It's been missing from the offense, obviously. Um, there's been some good ones, and hopefully they got a lot more in store because there are still a dozen games left on the schedule yeah. for the Saints this year. But by week this weekend, we're going to take a quick time out when we come back. Final segment with Gus, Pronola segment. It'll be a short one, but hey, Got to ask them about the Pels, right? Their season tips off in five days. Where is Zion? What is happening? We're digging in next. CSB in 1420. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. Final segment of the uh, Pro Nola. Final, you know, portion of the Pro Nola segment this morning. Gus Kangio on the line with us, Gus. We talked a lot of college football. We uh, we talked some uh, Saints. Briefly on the Pels. Uh, you know where I'm at. I'm just programmed to, at this point, I I, I try, I, I'm, I'm just done with optimism, I guess much as I want the franchise to win, as much as I root for them, as much as I want them to succeed, you know, it's like it's going to take time for them to gel. You've got new players. You've got Zion. Who knows when he's going to play? He said, oh, I'll be ready game one. Yeah, well, it doesn't look like that right now. You've got David Griffin who says things like, oh, yeah, he'll be ready for the regular season. And then Willie Green and Zion are like, yeah, opening day. And then yesterday Griffin's like, no, I just meant at some point in the regular season, just just peeing on fans and saying, no, it's just rain, guys. I'm straight up. I'm honest. Uh, I mean, Zion's going to be reevaluated in two and a half weeks. Question marks. You have your third coach in three years. You've You've got to give them time, and yet I feel like I've said that about this franchise for, you know, the last, with the exception of one year, the last 20 years, with the exception of two seasons, rather. I mean, it's just like I, I am, I'm kind of done with that, man, because it, it's, it's, not, it's not wrong. They are going to need time to gel, but I've just seen it too many times. I've seen too many injuries. I've seen too many promising things go away. When Griffin took over, when 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 the when he took over the Pels, it was hey, by the time year three starts with Zion and Bi, 
you know, and and this this core you just got from the Lakers. That's what we were saying at the time. Now Lonzo's gone, but you were thinking, man, by year three, that's when you really got to kind of start making your mark. And here you are, and you feel like, are you are you still in neutral, or have you arguably taken a step or two back? I mean, you're just not in a good spot. So I am. I'll say this: I'm always excited. And I will talk myself into something. I will give myself reasons to be excited because the Pelicans are playing next week, and I'll be excited about it. Yet, I am just not beaming with optimism here, Gus. Tell me something good. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me tell me something to make me feel a little better. Lie to me if you have to, but just before we let you go this morning, I know how tied in you are to that franchise. I had to get your take and outlook on the upcoming season. Oh, um, can, can it be two fronts? I mean, I I can be incredibly optimistic and hopeful and excited about a, a lot of areas on this team. Um, and I legitimately mean that. I think Trey Murphy is the real deal, and I'm excited to see him grow. And I am excited to see what he can do when he gets some NBA game manics under his belt. I love Herb Jones. Um I think there are going to be better with Jonas Valanciunas. I think Devontae Graham adds to it. I think Nikhil Alexander-Walker is showing you that he can be a player in, in this game. So you have more shooting this year than you have. And I think you're going to be able to play better defense. I do like Willie Green. You've got to give them time, like you just said. And that leads me to that other aspect of it where you're right. While they're all different reasons, it all comes out of the same principle, right? It's almost like, you know, we're in the time of Halloween here in October, and it's sort of like it's a Friday the 13th or Halloween movie. You know, pick the sequel, but it's the same principle. It's, it's Jason or it's Freddy or it's Michael Myers. Well, the, the main character in those movies is the, well, you got to give them time. Let's see what happens with the Pels, right? Every year, it's different cast of characters, different reasons. It's either injuries or it's turnover or it's um, slow starts or it's whatever, but it's always the same. You got to give them time. So I understand it. Um, it. It really stinks because it wasn't that long ago, Scott, that, you know, I was there in Fulton Alley the, the night that they drafted Zion, and I mean – the place erupted. I haven't felt that excitement, you know, in so long. I mean, you got to go back to CP3 and the Crescent City connection and being a game away from facing the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. I mean, I, I, they were good times. And this can be a basketball town. This can be a basketball city. And there want to. There's a craving for it, Scott. It, it, I get more calls. I, I could literally during football season, I, I, just, I get more calls to talk Pels. I understand we're the home of the Pelicans and that's probably a reason, but that, that, that's a reason that's, that's what I'm trying to tell you is there is a legit hunger and thirst and, and they're, they're not the, well, we can we need to shoot better. No, they're, 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 they're GMs, Scott. I mean, my callers are GMs. They're, you know, this guy needs this minute. Why don't they inbound the play here? They're talking about inbound plays. They're talking about, you know, movement and, and why is this guy not doing this off the ball? And this guy's not blocking out. Like they're, they're understanding the game. So it's growing here. It just sucks that the product hasn't matched it. And, you know, last year was a, I've said it before, it was a dumpster fire. It was an unmitigated disaster. What 
David Griffin did. But if you're going to go to rehab or you're going to get fixed and you're going to turn something around, you have to be able to be man enough or, you know, adult enough to address it and understand what the problem is and fix it. And he did. So now let's see what happens. My, my concern that kind of counters my enthusiasm and excitement comes from its franchise player. And I don't know if I'm the only one in the city that's feeling like this or publicly says it, but I, I am not nearly as excited about Zion Williamson as a lot of people are. And again, you and I have kind of had this discussion on air, off air, and, you know, you can give me the stats. You can, you can tell me he's done things historically and no one's done in the paint. You can, I, I understand that. And I, and I was on board with, with hey, that progress and the movement on that. But there are some things that are right in front of your face that should be concerning. And if they're not concerning, well, then you're just overlooking them. And maybe it's because, well, you just, you're hoping it gets better or you just don't want to deal with it or address it. But it, it, it's palpable to see that in the last two months, you have seen that organization try to change try to establish a different culture, whether it's weeding out certain players or, you know, understanding that additions to the roster have to be because of a certain way and you're looking for certain type of players. You know, again, I I liken it to what Sean Payton's done a couple of times in his career with the Saints. The pressure washing the locker room, finding the right players, chip on the shoulder type guys, guys that are about the team, guys that are willing to play hard, guys that are coachable, guys that have young talent. I mean, we just talked about Adebo, Pete Werner, Peyton Turner. We've talked about those young players. Well, maybe what if that's Trey Murphy, Herb Jones, Kyra Lewis, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Jackson Hayes? What if those guys are those guys? That said, the Saints were and would go as far as Kamara and Breeze took them or Jameis plays, right? You, your main guy has got to play. has got to do more than just play and perform. And when you're drafted number one and you're the franchise player and they're trying to give you the keys, there's certain things you got to do. And it, it starts with that athletic article that he never cleared up. It was absolutely rehearsed when he answered that question of, I'm glad you asked me that Fletcher. And, you know, he said, I'm happy. I love it here in New Orleans and all that. But here's my problem. When you say that you, you didn't work out with the team the entire summer, the entire team and franchise made an effort in Vegas to do something together. Brandon Ingram organized workouts at his place. He basically ghosted him. Um, I understand, I mean, certain players work out on their own. I, I, I get that. But again, if you're the guy that it's going to be built around, if, if, if the article is, I need better pieces about me, I need better players around me, common sense would be, well, don't you want to work with those pieces? We saw Jameis Winston after that Green Bay game. He said, well, look, the reason Juwan Johnson and I have that connection is we, we worked out 103-degree heat, you know, in the high school fields and all that, right? Jameis Winston was working out with receivers. Taysom Hill was working out with players. They worked out with people they knew they had to play with. Zion Williamson hasn't practiced with a single member of this team. Hasn't practiced with them. That's, that's dumbfounding to me. He breaks his foot. Um... So he's not going to be ready. 
He's not healthy, Scott. I, it, it, it's the elephant room that no one wants to say. But I think Bleach Report I even brought it up to you. There's a photo of Zion the year he got drafted. And it's, it, it's a picture I brought up about you, as a matter of fact, when I saw you on Wednesday. And I'm reading your Twitter page and, you know, your, your, your profile picture. I mean, your, your banner. Your it's Twitter banner Zion picture. Breeze, yeah. Has him meeting Breeze. That guy, compared to the guy, just look up the photo for media day. He looks 65 pounds heavier. I mean, it's, it's not even close. Yeah. And that's what concerns me, Scott, is we're talking foot injuries. We're talking, you know, I, I guess what I'm getting at is this. If you're going to say, I need this around me, that's fine. And you know how I feel about saying that after 90 games. But what are you doing to improve? Now I don't know, Scott. I don't know if from the last time he stepped foot on the court, he's done nothing but work out. He says that he was overdoing it, and that's how this injury happened. I'm going to try to believe him, okay? But my thing is this. LeBron James looks like he loses weight and, you know, gets in shape. AD has put on size. Jackson Hayes has put on size. Brandon Ingram has put on size. He talked about all the stuff that he's worked on. Trey Murphy, after that game against Orlando, who was asked by Jen Hale, how are you so confident in your threes? He goes, I put in the work. He is going to walk on the court with a team. Where, Scott, he has teammates that have busted their tails the last couple of months. It's visible. Like, it's visible. Brandon Ingram looks bigger. He sounds different. Like, he... He looks like B.I. from two years ago. His confidence level, he's looking at you when he's talking to you. He's thoughtful in his answers. He processes it. I asked him on Monday at Media Day when we would do the show live there, and we spoke, man, for 25 minutes on the air. And I asked him the last question, how good can this team be? He goes, give me a month or two, and I'll tell you. He could have easily said, oh, we're better. But he broke it down. He says, I think we have better shooting. I think we can play better defense. But we all got to get to know one another on the court. Off the court, we're getting along great. There's a different energy. Like, he specifically gave me reasons. You know who can't? The guy that didn't do anything with the team. And no one's talking about that. And and, and that's the thing that concerns me. Like, I would have never, you would never not have Drew Brees do that. You would never, Jameis hasn't done that. He didn't just show up and say, hey, I'm going to try to win the job. He worked with people he was going to be with. So, that concerns me from a maturity level, and what it concerns me, more importantly, is a physical level. He should have been dropping weight since he got into the league, putting on size because you're skinny and you're not muscular. It's completely different than the size he's put on. Mm-hmm. Anthony Davis was a stick. Putting on size for him was needed. Brandon Ingram was a stick. He was getting shoved on the outside. He couldn't play defense. It affected him last year. That's why he said he put on weight. Jackson Hayes. He said the same thing. He's getting beat up down there. He had to put on weight. Putting on weight because of a reason is a reason. I'm just telling you, look at the photos of what he looks like. His head looks like Barry Bonds, man, compared to your Twitter banner picture. That's not, that's not that long ago, Scott. And that concerns me because it, 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 it's not even about can he hold up physically because I do think he's a freak of nature. But what concerns me is the reason you picked him first and the reason he had 2 million Twitter followers 
and people were so amped up and had to watch Duke basketball the year he played there was because the guy was doing things on the court physically that you couldn't do. Yeah, the numbers in the paint, you know why? They don't play defense in the NBA down low. You barely have real legit centers. You have three or four in the league that are legit and stuff, and they're shooting threes most of the time. So if you're that big, you can do that. But why did I dub him the layup king last year? The guy lays up the ball. You know, he can't get up off the ground. They get up off the ground, Scott. And his two million Twitter followers came because he was dunking the bejesus out of the basketball every chance he got in high school. He was dunking left and right and putting on shows in Duke. I'm just asking you, have you seen that with the Pelicans? But here's the other thing. You better have developed another handle on the right hand. Everyone knows that. I mean, Antonio Daniels is as good as it gets. And and every time he plays, he sits there and says, man, you know, teams at this level – there's a scouting report, and I am going to stand on the left side, and I'm going to make you dribble with your right. I'm going to make you shoot. I'm going to make you do those things. You know, he's not running, and he's not practicing, and I'm talking to people that have been at the practice at the training camp, and he's off to the side, and he's shooting threes, Scott. He's shooting threes. And now will be reevaluated in two to two and a half weeks, and it's like, is he ever going to play, right? I, I – I don't know. So I, I'm excited about a lot of different elements. Well, you didn't lie to me, so I appreciate that. I, 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 oh, I'm uh, just saying, man. I, I appreciate I don't know. that. And, I, and I'm not, and I think maybe there's, there's a, well, you know, we can't say this because he's a guy. I hear you, but you have to earn. Nah, man, I'm, I'm, you I'm worried about. have to earn that title franchise. Yeah. It, earn it, that title. It's where a, it's a. Um, follow you and lead you. And I'm telling you right now, Brandon Ingram's put in the work. These young cats have put in the work. Now, I'm just telling you, when you hear certain players like Trey Murphy speak and go about their business, they are a hell of a lot more mature than what I see from Zion. Gus Cagliel telling it like it is. Saints and Pelicans correspondent has been our guest. Very generous with his time this morning. Follow him on Twitter at GCAT underscore 17 at GKATT underscore 17. Listen to him on the Sports Hangover ESPN 100.3 in New Orleans. My man, always appreciate the time, brother. All the best. And, um... I will talk to you on uh, your show next week, my friend. Sounds good, man. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Sean. Stay tuned. Brad Topham going to join me to talk Major League Baseball playoffs. That uh, end of that game last night, the umpires, Dodgers move on. A lot of people were talking about. Talk a little high school football as well. Talk coming your way right here on this Friday edition of the Great Scott Show. Don't go anywhere, guys. I'm Scott Breathe. We're right back right after this. Hey, you want to drink on Mr. Bell?